ending this little section, which I titled with great gifts come great responsibility, where we were dealing, we're dealing with gifts that are given to us by the Spirit of God. And we need to understand that these are great gifts. Us have them, and so we would like to. I'd like to share with you this morning from Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. If you would, if I'll read that, and then we will have a moment of prayer. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes... In generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, thank you for the reading of the word and the giving of it to us so that we may be edified and we may obey your will. Teach us this morning from your word by your spirit, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that Paul loved to do was to give an analogy of the body. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He talks about it here. He talks about it in other places. But what we need to understand is that he is mentioning the body because this is the way we are. We are a body of believers. That's who we are. And what he's giving this analogy about, the body, is basically saying... We have a vital union with Christ and with each other that is manifested through the Lord Jesus Christ in a universal church, but also in a local church. So here's what we, he is coming to this point of saying to us as we're understanding that with these great gifts, we have great responsibility to be able to use those gifts. He's saying we are members of the body, but we don't have the same function. If you continue that same analogy, the ear is not the elbow, okay? In other words, when you hear a noise, your elbow doesn't flap up and go, come that way, it go that way. Which way is it? You don't do that because that's not the function of the elbow. The function of the elbow is to, like Danny said, pick up the fork, bring it to the mouth. That's exactly it. You know, that's what we do, okay? I think that's a spiritual gift, right? <laughs> You said you love food. <laughs> so, anywho. So, the elbow cannot hear, and we understand that, nor can the ear hinge like the elbow. They all have different functions. We likewise are one body in Christ, and because of our union with Christ, which he talked about in chapter 6... He's residing in us through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are in union with one another if you are in Christ. Now, understand this. Believers are alive in Christ. We are not, then, an external organization like the Kiwanis Club or like the Rotary Club. We are an organism. 
We are a living body because of Christ. That suggests to us our union, our intimate union that one has with each other. It's not like an external organization. You may go to the Kiwanis Club and you know guys that are there. You're friends with guys. But we as a body of Christ are one with each other. We complement each other. We express our gifts and we express ourselves in this body. Therefore, we are bound together. And that's why we're called brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a living, breathing organism. We're connected. Now, notice what it says. If you look at this, verse 3, it tells us that we're going to do this. We're going to not to think more than we need to think of ourselves according to the measure of faith or the quantity of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and members do not all have the same function. We're one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That's why church membership is very, very important, dear friends. Church membership basically says to us that individually we all belong to each other. If we've come together and we've said we're going to be a part of Oakshade Baptist Church, we now are saying I want to be a part of this body. I want to be individually a member of the greater. And so what happens is that when one member hurts One member falls, one member is edified, one member is glorified. We all share in that. We all understand that. We come together as a living body. That's what we're trying to say when we are church members. We come together and we covenant to say, this is my responsibility before God and before this congregation that I will uplift and uphold the duties of membership So that the body will be edified. But if we're connected together, dear friends, don't you think we should know what part of the body we are? We should know that. We should. And that's why we see Paul's progression into the gifts that are given to believers. Paul lets the believers at Rome know they all fit together and now they have activities and they have roles to fulfill. And so before we get into some of the definitions that he gives us about this, these gifts, I want to give you a few things about gifts so that you'll understand why they're given. Here's the first one. They are for activity or functionality. Activity or functionality. These gifts make the ministry possible, folks. The ministry cannot be done by your paid staff. The ministry is to be done by the body. The paid staff or those that are given to the church, the pastors, teachers, evangelists, are to, according to Ephesians, equip you for the ministry. Oftentimes we've got that backwards, We've got that backwards where you'll get calls. Trust me, I know. I've been doing this for 40-something years. You'll get calls and say, Pastor, you need to do this. And I've gotten to the place to where I'm old and grumpy. I'm about to buy me a shirt. I found this T-shirt that says, I never thought I'd be a grumpy old man, but here I am killing 
making it. And so I would like to, you know, to be able to get past this little thing. Uh, I want to say this concerning that is that I now tell people when they say that to me, I say, well, you know, God never burdened me with that, but undoubtedly he burdened you. I want you to see how you're going to fulfill that ministry you think I need to do. And I am here to help equip you and give, give you everything and all the support that you need and we'll train you and do whatever and you get out and do that. As oftentimes they never call me back. Nor do I see that ministry ever unfold. But folks, when we have an understanding that we're given gifts because we're to be active and function, that ministry is made possible because of that gifting. They are from God. And when we use them as a body together, God is at work. We always want to see something miraculous. But when you express a gift such as a gift of service or a gift of teaching or a gift of preaching or a gift of helps or the gift of giving, God is at work. God is working in you for the edification of the body. Now understand, there's not one specific gift that is the gift. There's no one exclusive gift. You can't go around telling people, I have the gift and you do not. That suggests that their gift is inferior. To do such a thing depreciates them and others and their gifts. So there's not one the gift. There are many gifts. Third thing is that they're given. They are not earned. They are given. They are not earned. Oftentimes people think they can earn certain kind of things. In other words, they're going to be working for the Lord in certain activities, hoping that he will then bestow upon them a special gift that they can continue in that kind of ministry. That basically puts it as a work. That's works in addition to grace, and that's not what it is. God's gifts are given by grace, and they are empowering gifts. They give you a spirit-infused capability and power to accomplish a specific task. That's the point. When you are in the congregation and your gift is operative, you do the gift with ease. You do that gift and practice it and have that activity and you see that it's something that the Spirit of God will supply you to do as you're doing it. It's a supernatural thing. Other people will go, wow, I didn't see you. How did you get the energy to serve like that? How did you do this? Well, it's the empowering of the Spirit of God gifting you to edify and build up the body. So there are empowering graces. The fifth thing, or fourth thing, or whatever I came to here though. They are congregational. They are congregational. Listen to what I'm saying here. Each member of a local body is indispensable. Indispensable to the functioning of the whole body. Now, that's why we preachers harp on people being in church. Number one, we are called together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. When people 
commit to be members of a church, they ought to gather as member of the church so that they can express the gifts for the empowering and the building up of the body. When people are absent from their commitment to be a part of the church, we don't get to experience those gifts. It's not there. It's when this COVID thing hit and we went home And finally, after six weeks, we came back. Many churches stayed closed, but we came back. But we see that we went about half of what we normally have. And I have had people say to me, I just enjoy staying at home now, sipping on coffee, and I will then listen to someone. And then if you're posted on Facebook, I will listen to you. Here comes my grumpiness again. I get out my t-shirt and I pull it on and I say to them, how then do you expect to exercise the gifts that God has given you apart from the body of Christ if you are not in worship and here being a part and active in fulfilling the ministry that God has given you? You can't. If you're not here within this local body that you've committed to, to exercise those gifts, then the exercise of those gifts does not happen. That's why they're congregational. That's exactly what he's trying to tell these Romans. These gifts are congregations. Next, no believer has been passed by in the distribution of gifts. No believer has been passed by in the distribution of gifts. Everybody gets a gift. Everybody, every believer has at least one gift that is to function in the body. And they are not given for self-promotion or bragging. They are given for profit and edification of the body. That's why they're given. And not one of these gifts concerns character not one of these gifts concerns character. As I was reading and studying about this, one, one, one of the books that I said uh, that I was reading is that a pastor that was writing it suggested, he said, you know, there's a reason why you can see some people that are the biggest narcissist and self-aggrandizing folks and sometimes have questionable, uh, questionable character and yet God seems to bless them. In their ministries, he said, this lets me know and understand this. He's not talking about characteristics. He's not talking about the character of the person. But there are oftentimes where God still allows that gift to function in a way that will still edify and promote the body. Because God will do what God wants to do with any individual that he has gifted. If they get too brazen then God will discipline them and take them away from that. Last thing about gifts, they can be abused. They can be abused, folks. Understand that about our gifts. Uh, I was reminded as I was preparing for this, in this part about gifts being abused, this is what I heard in my mind going off. I bought my grandson a excavator 
not a big one, but one of those little remote control excavators, you know, where you have the little thing and it reaches out and does whatever and does this and that. I gave it to him as a gift. We puts, he puts it in, I put the little control thing in his hands. It said for ages, you know, four through six, he was like three and he began to, you know, whatever. And then he would just take it and he would just roll it and roll it. And I, he said, Pap, I won't roll. And I'm like, no, you got to use this. And I'm trying to teach him. And within two days, that 70 something dollar gift was broken beyond repair. Gifts can be abused. Okay. Spiritual gifts can be abused. They can. Served, I served with a pastor at one time who believed that he had, quote unquote, the gift of prophecy. And I don't know if you remember this or not. Some of you younger ones cannot because you weren't born then. You weren't even a twinkle in your daddy's eye. And so therefore, they had, way back then, we had to take spiritual gifts test. It was a big kind of quote-unquote fad to find out what your gift was and you go through this elaborate process of testing is almost like a psychological test that you were given and they would plug things in and say these are your gifts if you tested this way and so his was basically he says prophecy and they used to say that prophecy was a person who always sees things black and white always have to see things right this way that way whatever like this so when someone would upset him He would say things like this, those people, those people are just getting my gift of prophecy just riled up and irked. That's abusive because that wasn't the gift of prophecy at all. The gift of prophecy, I'll explain in just a moment what it is. But he would abuse that gift and he would use that black and white, you ought to do this, 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 and this. And even in the staff meeting would say that same thing, this, this, and this, and this. Until he was confronted by somebody who said, you know what, that sounds like you've got the gift of anger. And guess what? He didn't like it. So, therefore, they can be abused. So now let's look at this real quickly. Prophecy. We're going to look at going through this. It says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That little Greek word basically means let us exercise these kind of things. We have to exercise the gift. We have to use them. We have to exercise our muscles. Therefore, we also have to exercise these gifts. I heard somebody says, you know, I think about exercising, but then I lay down until that thought goes away and I don't exercise. Well, some people are like that within the church. You know, I think about it, I'm going, I need to serve, but I think I'll just, I'll just stay home. So when we're talking about using them, he says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, prophecy comes from a Greek word, means prophetei, speaking forth, speaking forth. It's the gift of proclaiming the word of God that has already been written, that has already been written. There's a difference now between what was given in the Old Testament and the New Testament concerning prophecy. They received direct revelation from God. We have in the New Testament, we have Agabus that talked about how Paul was going to go 
to Rome and, and he prophesied how, about his death. Uh, we have that there. We have Paul receiving revelation that he brings forth and gives to us. But as it begins to be completed, in other words, those open revelations, those inspired, inerrant revelations from God, I believe have been completed. And now we have in the Old Testament, I mean, in the New Testament, a word of, that says in Hebrews chapter 1, basically that God in various times and sundry places spoke to the prophets. But now he has spoken to us through his son. And so therefore, the revelation that we have is contained here. It's complete. It's here. So therefore, a prophet is one who is able to proclaim the word of God. They are foretelling what it says. The gift of prophecy is being able to warn, to admonish, to rebuke, to correct, to challenge, to comfort, to encourage, and to teach. 1 Corinthians 14.3. Paul tells the Corinthians, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So if we're looking at the gift of prophecy, you may be one who's able to speak truth on God's behalf. You make known his word, but don't add new revelation. It's already been given. It's there. Because if we had new revelation today, as people will say that God has given me this spirit of prophecy, so let me prophesy. I was listening to one the other day where this guy was interviewing this woman. And he says, I'm amazed at how many prophecies that you've been telling have actually come true. Well, if that woman then had real revelations and prophecy from God, would they not be inerrant? Would they not be infallible? Would they not be true? Wouldn't they might be added to the scripture? They would have to be. Because it got it directly from God. We have a closed canon. So therefore, in that, we understand that when you have the gift of prophecy, you are able to do those things of warning, rebuking, correcting, comforting, encouraging, and teaching what has already been revealed. So you give that in proportion to your faith. Then it says in verse 7, if service in our service, serving. It's a Greek word, diakon. Diakonos is where we get the word deacon. There is nothing more than practical. This is practically helping one another through serving one another. And that is manifested in various forms. So if you have the gift of service, then you are going to be operating with ease within this gift because You'll see people that have the gift of service that just basically are getting in there and doing it. It seems like they're tireless and they actually enjoy it. They actually enjoy. They jump in and say, how can I help? Let me do this. Let me do that for the edification of the body. Let me be a part of this. That comes from the Spirit of God empowering them to do it. They don't see it as a burden. But they see it as an obligation to use their gift. They see it as a joy. Let me serve. And we have people within the church that are needed for that kind of thing. He goes on and he says, in his, in the one who teaches in his teaching. 
Now, here's the difference prophecy. Prophecy, we're going to teach, we're going to warn, whatever. It also has that element of teaching in it. But a teacher is one who has an ability in, in to interpret the truth of God and present the truth of Scripture in an understandable way. In a, 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 a systematic, understandable way. They can see the Word of God. They study the Word of God and have a desire to study the Word of God. That's part of that teaching thing. They want to present what they have and what they've found to someone in a very understanding way. And it comes through that Spirit of God as He gives it and empowers them. It seems to just be able to roll and to function. The way that you need to understand this too, folks, is that it can be abused or it can be misinterpreted that you have that gift. I, I, 1982, I'm sitting in a seminary classroom. It was on the spiritual life of the minister. And it was a whole semester that we had to do this thing. And the professor was about this tall. He had poindexter glasses. And he was monotone and boring. We all came to class with big mugs of coffee because we know that's the only way we're going to get through. And, I mean, when he would talk, and he talked slowly, monotone, and even his gestures were behind. He would say, and God came through. (laughs) And then, you know, he, whatever... And what surprised us one day, seriously surprised us, he said, God has gifted me with the gift of teaching. And we're all either spitting our coffee out or we're looking at one, or one another in total disbelief going, do we hear that right, you know? Now, he had, he had written some things that were pretty good as far as, as, far as academia is concerned but that teaching oh no he had totally misunderstood his gift because it basically comes with the presenting of the truth of scripture in an understandable way and also to where it makes a little sense so that is what the gift of teaching is the next it says this the one who exhorts verse 8 in his exhortation It's a word called parakaleo. It's the root word for paraclete. You remember the paraclete in John? Jesus says, I am going to give you a paraclete. I am going to give you another helper. This is that same word. It means to come alongside of. We see that Jesus, or the Spirit of God, is a comforter. He is an advocate, and that's exactly what this word means. If you have this gift, you have this gift in a way of advising, of pleading, of encouraging, of strengthening, of comforting members of the body. You exhort them to move forward, to do what they're to do, to live consistent to the truth. You are an exhorter. 
You strengthen those who go, are going through tough times. You help them hold fast to the faith to look to God and other things. You come alongside of people and you encourage them. The next one is this. It's giving. It says, the one who contributes in generosity. This is a word that basically means sacrificial giving. Not of only one's resources, but of oneself. The word generosity or haplotes in the Greek is the root meaning is singleness, open-heartedness. Translated, it means sincerity. With sincerity, I want to give and I want to help other people. But in other words, you're giving of yourself, not for yourself. Big difference. Big difference. In other words, I'm going to give, hoping that they will recognize what I'm doing and giving, and then they will, in turn, give something back to me. This is not what the gift of giving is. The gift of giving is that I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to give of my resources. I'm going to give of my time. I'm going to do these things for that person, never expecting anything in return. I just give, and I give, and I give. An example of that was found in 2 Corinthians 8. Let me read it to you. This is what he says about the churches of Macedonia. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity in their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the reliefs, relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. In all 40-something years of ministry, dear folks, I have never had one church member walk up to me and say, oh, pastor, please take this money. Please take this gift. I beg you. I'm pleading with you. I want to give of myself to you. Take all that I have. That's not a hint. You don't have to do that. So understand this. Here's what I'm saying. This is what they did. They with sincerity. They were so thankful, so grateful for the grace of the Lord to save them out of their paganism that they said, what can we do? How can we help? And they gave to the needs of the saints. Paul took those, that, that contributions and took them back to the saints in Jerusalem that were teaching and, and giving out the word of God so people could go forth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. You're giving with sincerity, but you're not only giving to get something back, you're just giving of yourself. And that's something that is spirit-given. Next thing it says, the one who leads with zeal. That basically is that's one who's able to stand before and to guide. To guide. This means to lead. And folks, in the absence of leadership... Everyone will do what's right in their own eyes. If you don't have any leadership, you have to have someone that is guiding you. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, you have people that are given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, 
to then building up and to edify people and to build them up for the work of the ministry. But it also needs to be done in diligence. That basically means consistency and with carefulness. And it means that the leader needs to know where he's going. If you are leading and no one is following, you're only taking a walk. The leader needs to know where he's going. R.C. Sproul tells of a story of leading a group to the sites of the Reformation in Germany. And he says they were going to different sites in three different groups, but were to meet back at the bus after lunch. And after seeing the site, he turned around and told his group, "Um, I don't remember how to get back to the bus. And that's when a young lady said to him she knew the way. And he states, "Uh, we all got in line behind her. And with great confidence, she marched towards the bus. However, he says, I didn't recognize anything that looked familiar. So I asked her, are you sure this is the right way? And she said, yes, R.C., I am sure. They went on and finally she stopped and said, I am sure, but I'm seldom right. Uh they had to get help getting back to the bus because the leader didn't know where they're going. If you have the gift of leadership, you know where you're going. You know what you're doing. You're doing it with diligence, diligence, and you're leading in the ways of the Lord as revealed in the Scripture. That is leadership. Last one is mercy. It comes from a word called eliod. It's demonstrating sympathy for someone else. So if you have that gift... You have sensitivity to suffering and sorrow. And you also have the ability to notice when a person is in misery and distress that goes unnoticed by others. We are wonderful at saying things like this. How are you today? And people go, I'm fine. How are you? Which basically we used to say when they say fine, we know they're not fine. But most people will say, well, we're fine. How are you? But the person that has a gift of mercy can see underneath that. They're able to go to it, and they're able to look at you and say, you know, I'm sensing, this is the sensitivity, I am sensing that something is not fine, something is not good. Would you tell me about it? Would you share with me about it? Can I pray with you about this? How can I help come alongside of you and be merciful to you? That's the kind of mercy that's gifted by, uh, with, that people have that gift of mercy have. They can take that sensitivity and that feelings of those things and put them into action. And they do it not out of a sense of duty, but they do it with cheerfulness and a desire to edify the body. Now, folks, these are all functions of the church. These should all be operational as we gather together and we come together and find that somebody's in need in our church. We should operate in these things. And as we're saying, how can we if we don't come together? How can we if we don't communicate one another what is going on in the family? Because we are all family. That's why we must stay in contact with one another. To pray for one another. To minister to the body as he's distributed gifts. Folks, that's why we lament people here on staff. And let me at this point in time step on some toes. 
We send out emails, we send out texts, and it'll be two weeks before we get an answer. Because we're trying to do say, hey, we've got this need, we've got this, who can do this, who can do that. We don't get things back. The functioning of the body, when we communicate and we do those things, hopefully you respond so that we know what we can do. And who we can send out and do those things that are going to be helpful at that time. Especially if you're gifted in one of these areas that I'm not or Philip's not or Seth's not or any of our deacons are. They're not gifted, but you may be, and we may be able to put you in touch with that person that needs that special touch. But understand, everyone has a role to play. Everyone. But here's another thing that happens in the church. Here's another thing. We have some trying to fulfill roles that they are not equipped to fill. From this, John MacArthur shares a fictitious article that was published in Springfield, Oregon in their public school newsletter, which is going to illustrate this very well. Listen to what it says. It says, once upon a time, the animals decided they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. So they organized a school. They adopted an activity curriculum of running and climbing and swimming and flying To make it easier to administer the curriculum, all the animals took the subjects, all of them. The duck was excellent in swimming, in fact, better than his instructor, but he only made passing grades uh, in flying and was very poor in running. Since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his webbed feet to be badly worn so that he became only average in swimming. But average was quite acceptable, so nobody worried about that except the duck. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of so much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class because his teacher made him stop, start from the ground up instead of from the treetop down. And he developed Charlie horses from overexertion, and so he got a C in climbing and a D in running. Now, the eagle was a problem child and was severely dis- disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing classes, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but insisted on using his own way to get there. Now, the point of the story is obvious. Every person has his own special but limited capabilities. And trying to operate outside of those is going to cause frustration and discouragement and guilt feelings and mediocrity and ultimately defeat. Here's what it means for the child of God. You've all been given gifts. You have at least one. It's been given to you. Find out what it is. And once you find out what it is, then exercise that within the body. How do you find out? Folks, I don't think it comes by you taking a test. I just don't. I think it comes as you manifest it in the body of Christ. It's congregational. And you can ask other people, what do you see that you think may be my gift? If you're unsure, 
they may be able to tell you just like this. Oh, I remember when I had the passing of, of my mother. You called me instantly. And you heard about it and you called and you prayed for me and you so encouraged me. Could it be mercy? Could it be exhortation? You have those kind of things. And so within the body of Christ, as we're working together, we're being active and functional in these gifts. We will move in a way, and every one of us will move in a way, where we don't get frustrated. We don't, we don't take running classes when we have webbed feet. That's what we need to be about. And that's why Paul encourages the Romans, hey guys, this is what you need to do. And that encouragement goes to us today. So find your gifts and let's be active in the, in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this word. Thank you that you have gifted each and every person in this place and you have not passed them by. Father, I pray that you would fan the flame of that gift in their life so that it would be manifest in this body for the edification of the body and for your glory, O Lord. And I pray, O God, that as we use it, we would not abuse it, but that we would exercise these gifts. And in the end together, when you come for us again, Lord, we know that we've used these gifts and you have been glorified in this place. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.